Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hey there, it's Michaela. For this week, we're bringing you an episode from another great Financial Times podcast. It's called FT Weekend. And it's a story all about how technology is changing the business of horse racing. Don't worry, we'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks and enjoy. I want to make a bet, so. Okay, I'll, sure. I'll, I don't. I don't want to. Well, stop. who are you going to bet on? Right here. Yeah. I bet the one. You bet the one, the favorite, huh? We are at the Gulfstream Racetrack in Miami, Florida, and by racetrack I mean horse racing. And you're listening to a guy named Scotty McKeever chat with people who've come to do what you do at a racetrack: place bets. Was there something in particular you liked about that one? Yes, he wagged his tail. I don't know if it win. I'm not saying it Well, you have a form in your hand, but you're just looking at wagging his tail? She's saying, yeah, she she wants to run. Scotty is talking to some regulars, and he's asking them how long it takes them to handicap horses. That basically means calculating different horses' chances at winning. What about you? How do you handicap? I handicap jockey and trainer. He's better than I am. Combined. You know, yeah. Good trainer, good jockey. Gotcha. Traditionally, people place bets by combing through the horse's histories and looking for patterns. You can also do it like this guy, by looking at a horse and choosing the one that waved its tail, or maybe picking a jersey color you like. But Scotty has a different way. He's made an app, and it uses AI and algorithms to place the bets. I don't have six to eight hours to handicap one track. Yeah. None of us do. Yeah. And if you look at this generation, here's the thing more important. Forget about me. Forget about all the people that have been handicapping for 30 years. What about this new generation? Yeah. How are we going to draw them in? Do you think for a second they're going to... I was given these recordings by my colleague, Oliver Rader. He's a data journalist, and he recently went down to Florida to spend a weekend with Scotty to write this magazine cover story about horse betting. And he did that because, without exaggeration, Scotty is trying to entirely save horse racing as a sport. He thinks that in order for horse racing to survive... The little guy, as he calls them, needs to learn these technological tools. Otherwise, they will be left behind or completely crushed Mm -hmm. by these huge computer teams. Here's the problem. The sport is in a fragile place. Its popularity has been declining for years. And there are these new players who are flooding it with money. They're kind of giving it a sugar rush. We don't know who they are. They never come to the track. And for them, this is just a financial scheme. It's nothing more than that. It's kind of like the plot to a movie. There's not very many of these people, maybe something on the order of half a dozen, maybe a dozen. Really? And most of them are members of something called the Elite Turf Club. And the Elite Turf Club is a company based in Curacao, which is the island sort of tax haven nation in the Dutch Caribbean. And... They sort of operate, the the big ones at least, sort of operate like uh, a quant trading firm. Like they have a research arm and their bets are sort of 
placed algorithmically by the computer. If these people get bored and move on to other kinds of gambling, horse racing as a sport will be even worse off than it was before. So it's a takeover. And it's also a culture clash. It's these little guys who are betting on the horse that wagged its tail versus these well-funded computer scientists and statisticians. Today, we visit the Gulfstream racetrack to see how all of this is playing out. This is FT Weekend. I'm Lila Raptopoulos. And uh, they're off. Up front, it's tape to tape in front, three parts of a length. All right, Forrest making his move. Second, unsociable. On, now three wide, four wide out there is Felix. Mamba on three, needs some place to go, held up for a run. Okay, we have a really tight group of horses packed together, rounding the turn. That's Oliver, sitting in a suite at the Gulfstream, watching a race with Scotty. They both love being at the track. Oliver, hi, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you recently wrote a piece about how algorithms are changing horse betting. And I'm going to be honest, that's not something I knew anything about <laughs> before I read your piece. Um, it was also something that I didn't really think about or care about before I read your piece. Um, well, thank then, you. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, but now I do, which is a true compliment. And um, I guess for listeners, I'm curious if you can start by telling us why this story was interesting to you. Very big picture. Yeah, so I was I was raised by gamblers essentially. <laughs> uh, my family, especially my grandpa, uh, big poker players, card players, and, and horse players. Mm -hmm. And as a little kid, I would be dragged along to the racetrack on summer evenings and just kind of fell in love with the game. And it's essentially a game of turning data into a bet, sort of analyzing uh, what horses have done in the past and and trying to imagine what you think they're likely to do that day. And it's sort of half empirics and half sort of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I was just really drawn, drawn to it as a, as a pursuit, even since I was a little kid. Yeah. And what was like, what was the atmosphere like at the racetrack back then? Uh, like it is now, I mean, mostly misfits, right? Yeah. I mean, but but lovable misfits, like just, you know, I think gambling and horse racing in particular brings together a really eclectic mix of people and, and makes a really, really great scene to hang out in and to write about. I mean, you're outside, you know, there's drinks, mm -hmm. uh, there's conversation, there's friendly arguments. And, you know, every 15 or 20 minutes, some horses race around the track at incredible speed. So before we get further into this story, can you just tell me, like, how does a horse race work? Yeah, so no two races are uh, created equal, but the basic idea is there's some number of horses uh -huh. running some distance, <laughs> right. okay? And the first one uh, to get to the finish line wins, right? Like, like any enough, race. right. But sort of the trick comes in, in how you bet that race. And there are many, many, many ways to bet on a horse race. You can bet on who you think will win, who you think will get second, who you think will get third. You can bet more exotic combinations. For example, an exacta is betting first and second 
in that order. Mm-hmm. A trifecta is betting first, second, and third in that order. So you're guessing the first, second, and third winners, and if you get them all right, then you exactly win right a lot of money. Okay. And uh, unsurprisingly, sort of the more exotic the bet, the the more unlikely, but the bigger your payoff. Right. And you can even bet. You know, I I'm going to bet who's going to win the the first six races today. Something hmm. called a pick six, and sort of the combinations are almost completely endless. Oliver, so can you just take us through like the process of placing a bet, just even logistically? What did it look like? Yeah, sure. So every every day there's maybe you know, nine, ten, twelve races, and there's you know very much on purpose. There's minutes in between the races, and why? Well, so you have a chance to place your bets, and up on this big board in the center of the racetrack, it will say. Some number MTP, which means minutes to post, and mm-hmm. that's basically how much time you have to go get to the betting window. Um, so yeah, all kind of scattered throughout this very large racing complex, there'll be you know uh, stands like counters or, or windows with uh, someone sitting there, and, and you go up to them and you sort of speak in this kind of specific language. Hello, how are you? All right, um, he's just walked me through my handicapping, so I'm ready to put my money where my mouth is. Okay, so we're going to do, um, let's just say, $5 to win on the three. Perfect. Okay. And then, you know, they you give them your $2, they give you a little slip of white paper that says basically $2, 5 to win on it, and then you go, you know, take your position on the rail by the finish line or wherever you like to sort of sweat the race, and, you know, minutes to post counts down, uh, a bell rings, the gates open, the horse, horses start running um, a mile or, you know, how, three quarters of a mile, however long they're going that race. And roughly two minutes later, they cross the finish line. Let's, uh, let's just assume, unlike in the actuality, that my horse actually won <laughs> the five wins. And, you know, I go back to the counter and I give them my slip of white paper and they give me, you know, $5 back or whatever the odds dictated and Uh you sort of do this and more often than not you just collect little worthless white slips of paper uh, Mm -hmm. all afternoon long. (laughs) 781, not even close Scotty, I wasn't even close We weren't close on that one, were we? We'll get him next time Okay, so bring me to the Miami Gulfstream, if you will What was it like? What did it look like? What were the people like there? The entrance uh, to Gulfstream is a 110-foot statue of Pegasus fighting a dragon. <laughs> sure. So it really, you really get Very in the casual. you really get in the mood, sort of um, right from the beginning. <laughs> and you know, the horse racing tracks are a mile long, so they're they're very very big. And mm. so you look out on this vast expanse of the dirt track on the outside and the grass track on the inside, and this large kind of pond in the middle. And uh, sort of in the uh, in front of the pond is an enormous board, like a digital sort mm-hmm. of screen, which displays the race and crucially displays the odds, right? The, the sort of prices of your bets, which really dictate um, what you should do. And the odds are determined by everyone else betting. The mm-hmm. odds can change as money comes in on this horse or that horse. So in effect, unlike a casino, you're not really betting against the house you're betting against sort of your fellow race goer. Right. Okay, so that's how old school betting works. The tail wagging, the ticket seller, the board, the whole thing. 
The new way is, honestly, at most, a few clicks on your phone or computer. You can let the machine bet for you. The algorithm is using AI to comb through all those stats on horses and trainers, all the incoming data on the odds. And the elite turf club members are using it to place hundreds of thousands of dollars in bets a day. Maybe more. I was surprised by the sheer extent to which they dominate the sport in the U.S. and elsewhere. I mean, the fact that a single person and his team uh, accounts for 10% of all horse race betting in the U.S. was was absolutely astounding Mm -hmm. to me. Unfortunately, I can't really describe the elite turf club any better than I already have. Because they're so secretive, they wouldn't even talk to Oliver for his piece. We also can't compare Scotty's algorithm that Oliver used to theirs because that's secret too. You can't just Google it and sign up for it. What we do know is that these 6 to 12 secretive teams now account for $4 billion a year. That's a third of all the money bet annually on all horse racing in the U.S. So these like 6 to 12 totally anonymous, assume, assumedly very wealthy people are throwing a ton of money in and like affecting the odds really intensely. That's right. And these these computer-assisted players are, are very, I would say, infamous uh, for placing all their bets at the last possible second. Oh. And the reason they do this is because that gives them the most information about mm-hmm. what the odds on the horses will be. Like we mentioned, the odds can change as the money comes in. So if you place your bets at the last possible second, you've got as much information as you can possibly get. And the reason they're able to do this is because Elite Turf Club connects them to the pool in this very high-speed, sort of high-bandwidth way. And indeed, oftentimes you see the odds on horses sort of dropping precipitously as the horses are you know, loading into the gate and getting ready to run mm. because these computer players have spotted you know, a good deal on a horse and have flooded all this money in um, at, the la- at the last possible second. Right. Um, so the little guy must be really annoyed <laughs> by yeah. how this can influence what they think they're betting on. I think it's th- these last second odds changes are one of the biggest frustrations that y- that you read about. Yeah. Um, and one of the biggest frustrations that folks I spoke to uh, for the story kind of expressed to me. You can imagine the difference, right? Say you're at the racetrack and you're watching the board with the odds. And then in the last few seconds, right before time is up, they change. You just don't have any physical time to react. You can't go to the guy and get a new ticket. It's not possible. But the racetracks are hooked on the Elite Turf Club. So you were shown around by Scotty McKeever. Can you tell me about him? Yeah, Scotty Pick Six McKeever <laughs> is uh, the developer of uh, one of these AI systems. His is called Equin Edge, and he, you know, he has a day job. He works in the the metals industry, but horse racing is really his passion. And he's had a sort of side gig in the past as a horse racing commentator on a on a horse racing TV network. Top of the afternoon, I'm Scotty McKeever, and welcome to the Golden Hour series from Golden Gate Fields in Santa Anita Park. We're going to cover races, of course, from Santa Anita, Golden Gate Fields, Pimlico, as well as Gulfstream Park. 
tell me what he looks like. Tell me what he's like. What was his energy like? What was, what's his sort of character? Yes. Yeah, so, so Scotty, is, he's a, a big guy. He's in his 50s, but like in fantastic shape, mm-hmm. uh, just endlessly charming, uh, knew absolutely everybody at the racetrack. You know, he, he goes there enough and bets there enough that, you know, we got access to uh, a large luxury suite uh, <laughs> where he places his bets. And yeah, just an incredibly kind of gregarious uh, horse player. Scotty seems to be one of these people who's trying to democratize the algorithm. Can you talk a little bit about that and the people who are trying to do that? Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a fair characterization of what Scotty's trying to do. Um, so, you know, I think he, he's trying to do this in a few ways. One is just by making this thing publicly available. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to pay for it, but it's, you know, it's not that expensive. Another is um, Scotty kind of hosts these live streams. So on a Saturday afternoon's racing, he will broadcast uh, from from his apartment and sort of talk you through every race and say, you know, okay, here's what my AI says, and here's kind of what my human instincts for this race are, and essentially to kind of educate people about, you know, how horse race betting works. I would say, you know, he described it to me as I'm trying to teach people a foreign language. And Oliver, can you just explain to us, like in simple terms, why is horse racing so vulnerable right now? Yeah, I mean, most simply, there's just far, far fewer dollars bet on horse racing in the U.S., and and that's just a function of basically declining popularity. I mean, time was in the U.S. that there were three sports, baseball, boxing, and horse racing. And this would be, you know, in the newspaper every day, it was followed very, very closely. And uh, adjusting for inflation in the last 20 or so years, Dollars bet on horse racing have been roughly cut in half. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Scotty is trying to bring this algorithm to the people. I'm kind of curious if it's working. So I I think in some sense, absolutely. I I think one one thing that really stuck with me from I was in his house while he was doing one of these shows, and there's just a real camaraderie Mm -hmm. among his viewers. And I don't remember exactly how many people were viewing me on the order of a couple hundred people. So this is not an enormous thing, mm-hmm. but you they were all sort of in it together, right? Mm-hmm. And Scotty, to his credit, he places actual money bets when he's sort of describing what you should do in right. a given race, and presumably a lot of his viewers do too. And then, you know, if the race goes well, they sort of all celebrate together. <laughs> and I describe it in my story as sort of people gathering around an AI algorithm like our ancestors sort of gathered around a fire. Is it working... Looked at in another way, it's very hard to tell mm-hmm. because it's a bit like, you know, uh, retail investors in the stock market versus like a very established quant firm. Right. You know, you could imagine educating retail investors um, very thoroughly, but you still have to imagine that the established quant firm just has the money, you know, the capital, the wherewithal, the research staff, you know, to be, to have a huge advantage. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think an existential question for horse racing is, you know, will the retail bettors be entertained enough to kind of stay interested in horse racing? Like, Mm -hmm. will, or will they just move to betting on football or poker or, or whatever else? And can you just reiterate, like, what is, what would happen if they all just got bored and left and stopped horse betting? I mean, if 
if all if all the compute big computer teams just left, I mean, there would be an enormous hole in the horse the horse race the pool of dollars that support the sport of horse racing. I to be honest, I don't know if that hole means that horse racing collapses tomorrow, but I mean that horse racing, the the tracks, the companies that own the tracks will do a lot to keep these people betting because they are um, a huge uh, tentpole that is holding up the sport as we know it in 2023. Oliver, I'm kind of curious what's at stake for you in this story. Like, why do you love horse betting? I think I love a few things about horse racing. One, I love the puzzle, right? More than, you know, if, if you're betting football, for example, you've got, you know, a few bets you can make, but basically you're looking at two teams and which one's going to win. Betting on horses, you've got eight, 10, 12 in the Derby, 20 mm. horses. It's an incredibly, incredibly rich puzzle. On top of which, it's an incredibly beautiful thing to watch. There's no denying like the absolute beauty of a thoroughbred racehorse. And even if you don't bet, one ought to go to the racetrack just to take in the spectacle. You know, it's funny because uh, I felt in this conversation and in your piece, sort of like I'm rooting for horse betting. And I'm rooting for it as it was to sort of maintain and the little guy to to hold on. Um, but it's still betting. So should I not be? <laughs> Isn't that bad? I mean, listen, I, I, I'm a gambler. Yeah. And I think there is a lot uh, to speak for gambling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think back to, you know, my fondest memories with my grandpa were uh, at horse racing tracks. And my fondest memories with my uh, family were around poker tables, right? And, you know, it's puzzle solving, mm-hmm. essentially. And, you know, I think you should, if you're betting on horses, you should be prepared to lose a little bit of money, but you should also prepare to be very engaged and, and very entertained. Mm-hmm. There's this tension between like the excitement of gambling, the way that you explain it as puzzle solving is exciting. And then also the sort of like the dangers of gambling. Yeah. But like on the other hand, like everything is gambling. Yeah. Right. Like being born is a huge gamble. (laughs) Or the FT. Finances is gambling. (laughs) Totally. Come on. Yeah. Oliver, you've totally (laughs) blown my mind about horse betting. I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. That's the show this week. Thank you for listening to FT Weekend, the life and arts podcast of the Financial Times. Next week, we are talking to the Pulitzer Prize winning MacArthur genius playwright Susan Laurie Parks. If you're in the U.S., the second annual U.S. FT Weekend Festival is on Saturday, May 20th in Washington, D.C. There's a special discount link in the show notes alongside a link to an exceptional deal on an FT subscription. That's at ft.com slash weekend podcast. Make sure to use that link to get the discount. I say this next part every week, but I mean it. We really love hearing from you. 
You can email us at ftweekendpodcast at ft.com. The show is on Twitter at ftweekendpod. And I am personally on Instagram and Twitter at Lila Raps. I post a lot of cultural recommendations and questions for you on my Instagram. I'm Lila Raptopoulos, and here is my incredible team. Katya Kamkova is our senior producer. Lulu Smith is our producer. Molly Nugent is our contributing producer. Our sound engineers are Breen Turner and Sam Javinko with original music by Metaphor Music. Topher Forges is our executive producer, and our global head of audio is Cheryl Brumley. Have a wonderful weekend, and we'll find each other again next week. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.